the latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Hello and welcome to this week's 442 Insider Podcast. I'm publisher Andy Jackson and joining me as ever is editor Trevor Trahan. Hello. And our special guest this week is the one and only Spencer Pryor. <laughs> Hello. Assistant coach of the uh, Westfield Matildas. I suppose we better say that. We get the sponsors get the happy. sponsors in. <laughs> Who's, uh, he was a little bit late getting here because he was just getting fitted for his World Cup suit. <laughs> yeah, carnage getting the suit measured up, especially when you've got arms like Mr Tickle. It's a little bit difficult <laughs> to uh, get shirts that fit you. So you're there? You're going to be all right? We're not, you're not going to be embarrassing us on the touch line? Of course I won't. Well, I won't be wearing a suit. I might, I might get a little green sweatshirt like Cluffy, but uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'll be a tracksuit coach. Don't worry about that. Tom, will, he'll be suited, won't he, for the games? We don't know, actually. We're Is that the etiquette of the World uh, Cup? I don't know whether there's some sort of protocol that he has to wear a suit. Yeah. I'd rather not. But, uh, no, he'll be all right. He'll wear whatever he, he likes. All right. Well, look, we're going to get to uh, our Matilda's chat in part two. We're going to devote a whole section to uh, talk about the squad that was announced uh, yesterday and then also uh, preview the games, look forward to the World Cup and get the inside from the camp from Spencer. Uh, but let's kick off. Let's have a look at the two Socceroos games, Sunday and Tuesday. Um, let's start with New Zealand on Sunday. Spencer, what did you think of the game? I thought the... They did what they had to do. The, the Kiwis were there for the for the taking in terms of the, the travelling aspect. It does take a lot out of you. They had loads of injured players. Well, they had 14 men. Oh, they struggled they? to get a team <laughs> together, right? Um, they were there for the taking. And to be fair, the Socceroos did what they had to do. It wasn't a great game. Um, people talk about the pitch having a part to play in it. Get the right footwear on, you can play on anything. Um, Whether it didn't help, it must be honest, Bert, and and say, I don't think Adelaide Oval is a great football venue. No, Um, we talk about this every time there's an A-League game there. The players don't seem to be able to get their foot in. They can't get the footwear right. Um, I just don't like the ovals. Full stop. I don't like playing football on ovals. I think it's designed for cricket. Um, Stick to playing cricket and AFL on it and keep football on football pitches. But Adelaide wanted a game down there. They got it down there. They, it didn't create a fantastic atmosphere. Couldn't hear anything. It was like a closed doors game, wasn't yeah, it? When you were watching exactly. it, I mean, it was like a cricket match. Well, you know, you know, <laughs> Trev. You know, when you can hear the players talking, yeah, that's when you got problems. Yeah, we hear the Kiwi fans, though. They were in good voice. Oh, yeah, there's about ten of them making yeah. more noise than the rest. Uh, oh, well, let's let's talk from a from a personal perspective, Trev. I mean, who do you think did their cause good I mean obviously it was a, it was a weakened soccer side all the traditional sort of big four that we'd say were, yep. were missing so it presented an opportunity for some of the not second string but some of the squad players to step up and, and stake a claim for, for future selection who do you think uh, yeah. well, the, the, to put a hand up you're saying a lot of players are, are missing it's, it's quite likely that the team that tries to qualify for Brazil looks more like this one than the one that you might yep. expect previously um, Troisi I hadn't seen play in ages um, and, and he impressed me. He, he looks sort of lively, quite similar to Rukovitsa in, in a lot of ways. I think it'll be one or one or the other who's going to get through there. Zulo at left back. Yeah, was interesting to see that switch back. I know he's been playing there in Europe. He certainly um, seems to have bulked up a bit from a season in Europe. He does, but also what I liked about Zulo was his, his willingness to get forward. It's so in, quick in, a, in an Ashley Cole sort of style, mm. getting himself in the box and getting you know he. I, I, I love seeing fullbacks that are willing to push on, and um, he had to do that, especially the way that, that New Zealand set out. 
you get your full your full backs pushing on as much as you can, and uh, he did he did brilliantly, I thought. Yeah, and uh, again we're seeing with Zulo what we've had with Carney, which is a converted yeah. wide player playing left back. You know, is is that a concern, Spencer, the defender yourself? Do you? You know, can you can you convert to be a true sort of left back once you've done it? I mean, we've got you know what I'd say two good left backs in the A League. Josh Rose who had a fantastic season, Shane Stefanuto at Brisbane, who just don't seem to be able to get a look mm. in. And again, they've seen a, a wide player playing in left back for the Socceroos. Oh, look, I think it's I think it's possible. I mean, when we see Mascherano playing as a centre back for Barcelona, anything's possible, right? That you know, if you if you've got a side that can keep the ball. You can play in any position, really. I mean, we don't want 11 out-and-out out attacking players on the pitch. We do need players with certain defensive responsibilities. But to have the full-backs willing to... You know, if you can play an attacking full-back with a, a real attacking mindset, then then I think it's a plus. Mm-hmm. As long as he does his defensive jobs well, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, it's a plus. And that's, that's the way that the game has gone. I mean, you, you see less men up front these days, but... Every good side has good attacking fullbacks. You know, there's more attacking for us coming from them. So I don't think it's that surprising. I do think Joshua Rose deserves a chance. Um, I hope he does in the qualifiers. Okay. Uh, Josh Kennedy came back to the to Socceroos action with two goals. Scored with so his feet. Scored with his feet. Although it was a bit of a howler from uh, <laughs> from the keeper. Uh, but a great header for the second goal, Spencer. You yeah. admired that. It's a very, very prior-like. I leap. love set pieces. <laughs> no, in honesty, I think you know set pieces are really undervalued. Um, the importance of them and his timing of his run was superb. Lost his marker. Good delivery. That's always the most important thing. Uh, it was a great header. The first one. Well, I don't know what Glenn Ross is thinking, but. Uh, <laughs> blaming his defenders. Just put it in Rose's head. They don't score from there. And. You know, it, to be honest, you know, we, we look at Glenn Moss with the mistake, but you've got to give Josh Kennedy a little bit of credit that he, he sort of read he the went. situation. Sandy Gray was still broad because he's gambled. <laughs> he's gambled and he's been rewarded. Uh, all right, let's talk about Serbia. Uh, the second game in the two-game series at uh, Etihad. Uh, 28,000 turned up, which was a, which was a decent crowd. Uh, plenty, of Serbians. plenty of Serbians, <laughs> plenty of flares, uh, plenty of negative headlines. Um, I mean, let's, we'll talk about that in a minute, but let's talk about the action on the pitch. I mean, it, it, it wasn't the worst nil-nil draw I've seen, but you know, I mean, did we learn anything from this? Yeah, yeah. I think we learned that Federici is a reliable backup as a keeper. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Mark walks up. He talks that he's going to be around for Brazil, but the you know. The reality is, we need a good, good backup. And you know, Adam, he's he's been outstanding in the UK this year uh, with Reading, and he, he, you know, I thought he was excellent again uh, against Serbia. Okay, Trev, anyone that stood out for you in this game? Um, I liked Holman. Yeah, I, 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 I thought, I thought he was good. Game. I think he did the, the simple things very well. Linked up, um, Archie. Um, the thing is, about, and I've spoken to Archie about this before. When he gets his Socceroos chances, he almost always, or in recent years, has got them in second-string Socceroos. He was saying to me, he goes, well, I haven't played with Harry and Timmy and, you know, all, all the main guys which might make the difference. And, you know, this game was a sort of another repeat of it. it was, it's hard to sort of see how he's going to force his way into the team. I mean, especially playing in that role, um, I think he's better with part of a two-man strike force, isn't he, than sort of virtually up on his own with Holman in behind. So it's, it's hard to see how he's going to play much part in the qualifying. And, and overall, a, a slightly strange decision to play him. 
I think. Not, not that yeah, I don't I like sort of, Archie. Sort of but... A few people, actually. I mean, Spencer, what, what did you think of the inclusion of Archie in the squad? I, mean, so I, I did an interview on a radio show at the weekend, and they suggested it might be a farewell to the Melbourne public and I wasn't really sure he'd played enough games for the Socceroos to sort of warrant that really. <laughs> Look, I mean, is Holger looking at him? I mean, because, you know, I guess what we were talking about was the fact that during the qualification, certain dates are not FIFA dates. Yep. And so that actually then rules out the likes of potentially Josh Kennedy, potentially Rukovitsa who's playing in the Bundesliga. So it could be that he has to play one or two games with an all-A-League squad, as we saw in the Asian Cup. So is he looking at Thompson for that scenario, do you think? I think he has to. Mm, I, yeah. Honestly, I really do. I think the situation with Scott McDonald, uh, obviously we know he's goal-scoring beats within the, the, the Socceroos. Um, he, he has to look for goals from other areas. Archie's goals have come against weaker opposition without that. So to throw him in against Serbia, who are a decent side, by the way. Um, I don't think it did any harm to, to give him a run to see how he went against better opponents. Um, he, he's going to need a local-based centre-forward. At some point he will, because clubs won't release their striker. You know, it's, a, it's a key role. Someone will keep one of their players back, and Archie will, will come into the fray, I would imagine. And uh, even Robbie Cruz now heading to Germany. Yeah. You know, he, yeah. He's not going to be in the frame for an A-League soccer. Yeah, look, this is the this is all the the, the whole thing around the, the qualifying is that you, you you have to look at the home base players. Mm. Um, one player we enjoyed watching was Stankovic, wasn't it? We were talking about yeah. it during the game. There was one thirty second period where he got the ball in the in the centre of the midfield and he had a split second and he looked and he pinged this ball with his right foot on the half volley. Straight out to the left winger. It didn't have to move. It hit him in the chest and he just took it down. And then with the next passage of play, within about 30 seconds, he took the ball from the corner and hit an half volley with his left foot that went like a rocket. And he was like, it was nice sort of seeing players like that because you do see that. You get the opportunity to just see the level of vision that they bring. That you know, that you see that gulf between what is an average player and what is someone who's playing week in, week out at the very highest level. I think it's important for the supporters here and the fans to, to have had the privilege to have watched stuff like that. You know, they we don't want them to just keep seeing mediocrity. I think it's important that they do get to see the best players that are around, and he's one of them. Yeah. Um, all right, let's talk about. The, you know, the nil-nil at the end, it was a bit of an anti-climax. It wasn't the worst game. It was great to see players like Stankovic. I mean, is there something that that we could do to maybe liven up friendlies? I don't know. Have you got any ideas, Jacko? A controversial idea. <laughs> you sound like you might have a little, little controversial idea. controversial idea. Because I was thinking about, you know, I was looking at kids going away. They've been to the Socceroos game. You know, their parents have spent a lot of money, you know, to, to go on a Tuesday night, on a freezing cold Tuesday night. They walk home having not seen a goal, you know. Maybe we have a penalty shootout at the end, just at 90 minutes. You know, we talk about the fact that it is a difficult scenario to recreate going into a penalty shootout at a tournament when it matters. Well, there's an opportunity in front of 28,000 fans. Have it down the end where the Serbians are. Have a bit of fun and a bit of drama at the end. And the result still stays as nil-nil, but both sides agree to have a penalty shootout if it's a draw at the end. You know, I just think it would create a bit of excitement. It would end on a high note. You know, I mean, as a player, would you be up for that? Taking a penalty, no chance, Jacko. <laughs> no, um, I mean, you know, I mean, oh, say, absolutely. I mean, maybe the players go, hang on a minute, 
you know, if we've just got a draw against Serbia, we don't want people to feel like we've lost because mm. we then go and lose the penalty shootout. Is it? Well, this would, is would the, the pride yeah. sort of kick in from the players and go, we don't want to do that. Well, this is where the issue will come, though. Where would the media sit with it? You know, if they won, then they'd write that they won. Mm. If they lost, they'd write they drew and <laughs> lost in the kick about penalty shootout. You can yeah. manipulate that the way ever way you like it. Um, there, there's there's definitely something in it that you know. I've got to say, it's a very Australian thing to say, you know, we've got to have winners and losers. We don't like draws, especially nil-nil draws. You know, every other sport seems to be hundreds of points floating around in it. So there there might be something in it, but you've also got to keep a, a, a perspective on it that a nil-nil draw with Serbia weren't a bad result. Yeah. So you've got to draw. I just think, you know, we're in a situation that is different to England and places like that because 85,000 people will still turn up to the next England game, whoever they play, and whether the last game is built nil-nil or not. You know, whereas we're in a situation where we've just had two Socceroos games that have drawn 21 and 28,000. Uh, the first game at a cricket ground, the second game at an AFL ground. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the other question for me is why wasn't this game at Amy Park? Why weren't know? the first one at Highmarsh? It would have, it would have been a fantastic spectacle at Amy Park. You know, mm. 28,000 in a 33,000 grand. The noise would have been immense. I think it might but, have sold out. I mean, the appeal of playing there. Playing there. Might I just have got some more people the having a, a football-specific rectangular stadium built in Melbourne and it not get used. And now obviously there's financial implications. Etihad obviously do a better offer for the FFA. But I just think, you know, from a neutral's perspective, having watched the nil-nil draw in Amy Park, you would have gone away going, what a great atmosphere that was and what a great experience that was. I want to go again. Compared with, I just think people will go away from that and just think, the next game at Etihad, you know, am I going to go there? Mm. You know, I just think we're, we're in a situation where we've got to sell this national team. You know, I think we should look at any opportunities to do that. Um, do you remember A.D. Boothroyd did it at Watford? Ahead of the playoffs one season, he was white. You know, he talked about you can't quite create the same pressure. But the last game of the season, I think they're playing Cardiff or someone, and he got the Cardiff fans to stay behind and let his players, you know, do a penalty shootout with the pressure. So, you know, I don't think people would mind, you know, especially when it's just an international friendly. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, obviously, next stop for Socceroos is the World Cup draw, uh, which is July. 31 from memory, I think it's the last day of July, and then it looks like there's two games in September. So, I mean, what, what will Holger have learnt, do we think, from this, from these two games, Spencer? I think he's got, he's got players that he can rely on that are based here. Matt Mackay, one that springs to mind. Um, you know, I think they've got, they've got a capable bunch of players that if, if we don't get clearance from clubs overseas... I think he's, he's got a, a core group of players that are based here that can go and get the results that they need that, that will get them qualified. Yeah. Hmm. Do we also think Holger's strategy behind giving Cahill, Kuehl, Schwarzer the, the two games off Arrest. was with a view to going back to those same managers saying, hey, I didn't flog them at the end of the season, Without but doubt. I really need them for the World Cup. I, th- I think that happens a lot. Yeah. I think there's a lot of deals about missing so-and-so games, so he's available for that, so... Well, certainly the relationship between David Moyes and, and Tim and the, and the FFA seems to work really well. You know, they've, they've got Although that Although he does still moan every time he comes no, Moyes is moaning all the time, <laughs> like stuck anyway. They're Scottish. No, um, no he's, they've, they've got a good, re- good understanding and a good relationship. They, re- they understand how, how much Tim wants to play for a national team. He will be an important player come qualifiers, and he'll make himself available. I'm absolutely sure of it. 
the fact he, he 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 just needed a bit of a rest and recharge. The guy, you know, had a break for four years. Yeah. yeah. And is, is Trev, is, is there any positions that we look at that we think Holger might still have question marks or concerns over? Well, I, I think the Lucas Neal and Ovnotsky is working well. Yeah. It's about how long that's going to continue working well. They're both older, right? Yeah. Exactly. What do we think, Spiranovic? Yeah, you got yeah, that, the player I'm um, most interested in seeing playing more games is Reese Williams. I, yeah. I think he's it's the great best to see him out of those emerging players. I, I, I was chatting to him yesterday, and he was sort of saying that where he's been played for Middlesbrough, and he's been playing, you know, pretty much everywhere on the pitch except goalkeeper. He goes, yeah, I had about front midfield. He goes, I've been right back, I've been centre back, I've been, you know, left side of a back three. And, and stuff. was he? Did you talk to him about his fitness? Is he feeling? Pretty yeah, fit he's now? feeling good now. I mean, he, he only had something like eleven starts last season. He got six man of the matches during that time. Um, they really, really rate him, and I think that he's versatile. So you're going to want him in a small squad. Um, I think he'll. I think he. I'd like to see him at centre back though. Well, he was treated pretty awfully, you know, when he when he had his suspicious or whatever it's called, and yeah. uh, you know now he's back and and he's actually able to show. Now he's got full fitness where he can be at. I think, like you said, Middlesbrough value him very highly, a lot higher than Strachan did at the time he had in there. So. He'll be an important member of the Sokoru squad for years to come now. Yeah. Yeah. And Spiranovic, was that a sort of, you know, we, we, we've been talking, I think we first did our, whole, our yeah. first feature on Matt Spiranovic about four years ago. I mean, he's still only 22, uh, but he's now broken into the Eurao Reds first team, you know, and yeah. that, that's got to help having, particularly when we're qualifying through Asia and Japan. Playing against been, those countries. Playing against them week in, week out. Exactly. Yeah. I think you know, him and Williams the back two yeah. you know for, for Brazil I think that's pretty pretty decent Zola on the left Wilkshire on the right that's yeah. not a bad you know. that's fine Federici in goal okay future's right. looking bright there we go <laughs> <laughs> well the other thing obviously that is happening next week uh, is the two games against Yemen for the Oli Roos to qualify for the next yeah. stage so uh, they are being played in Gosford and Newcastle because of the uh, the sort of political uh, situation in the Yemen, which obviously plays into our hands massively because we've effectively got two home games. Um, we should see ourselves through to that. Trey? Yeah, I, I don't foresee any problems with, without sort of doing that arrogance about teams that aren't as big, but I, I, I can't see a swan and beside fairly easily. Okay, cool. All right, that's it for part one. We will be back and focus our attention solely on the Matildas for the second part of the podcast. So join us after the break. The July issue of 442 Magazine is on sale now. This month you get to choose your cover between the Matildas or the 20 rising stars of world football, including interviews with Jack Wilshere and Neymar, plus a profile on the madness of Mario Balotelli. Elsewhere, we name the top five Aussie team sensations with Kerem Bullitt and Matt Ryan interviews. We're in Berlin with Nikita Rukovic. Plus the 30 maddest refereeing moments. If it's in the game, it's in 4-4-2. On sale now. The latest on the world game. This is 4-4-2 Insider. Hello, welcome back to this week's 4-4-2 Insider podcast. We're going to turn our attention to uh, 4-4-2's cover stars, the Matildas. Uh, Spencer, this is probably your first uh, experience of being on the other side of selection nightmares. Um, You've had a good sort of good few camps with the girls. I mean, how tough was this? I mean, it's it's a small squad. It's a smaller squad than the men's tournament. It's 21 players, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, talk us through the process, you and Tommy. I mean, well, we started with 30 players in camp in the first camp. Um, we brought everybody in, bar the girls that were over, based overseas: uh, Katie Gill, Lisa Devana, Heather Garriott. They they were based overseas, so really we had a look at 33 players to start with. 
after the first couple of camps, we trimmed it down a little bit. Um, and then over the base of the last two camps in Canberra, we had a good look at everybody else. Um, cut it a little bit after that again. Then went into Central Coast. A couple of games in New Zealand. A little bit of refining. Took it down again. And then we, we had, had to do it by the end of this camp at the Gold Coast. Had to get the squad down to the 18 outfielders and three goalkeepers. The goalkeepers were sort of a little bit established. We had three keepers in camp right from the start. So they could relax a little bit. Um, but getting the outfielders was, was the, the real difficult decision that we had to, to try and yeah. work out. And much has been made uh, since the announcement on the, on the youthfulness of the squad, on an average age of, of just under 22, hmm. which is a phenomenally young squad to be taken to a World Cup. Um, yeah. I mean, was that, do you look at that when you're looking at the makeup of a squad? Does, does that factor or do you just purely look at the ability? Do you, do you think maybe we need a few older heads to, to keep things together? Well, or? We've, we've got them around. You know, we've got Melissa, we've got Heather... Um, there's a few others. Claire Poultonson's, you know, been around. Sally Shippard's got got plenty of experience. You know, we've got we've got players that have played at the highest level that are in and around the squad. I think we've got the mix really, really well. Actually, you know, we the the one thing that we wanted to make sure was that we didn't just pick a player on experience. Yeah. You know, I don't think I don't think going across to Germany with how quick the games are backing up that you can just pick a player on that on that you know um, it was important that we've got players that are adaptable can play in all different positions um, mobility is a massive thing in in the girls game now the speed and mobility I mean Brazil are just they're all over the park so you know it's important that we we, we judge players on on all aspects and and if they were experienced, great. If not, it, it was irrelevant, really. It didn't come into it. Yeah. Um, I think one thing I observed about the squad, even though they're young, the number of appearances they've had already is quite a lot. I mean, you look at someone like Kaya Simon, she's only 19, but 24 games already. You know, Sam Kearney, 17, 13 games already. So they may be young, but it's not like they've only had a handful of international games. Well, they've also proven, I mean, what, that they can, they can win tournaments. I mean, the Asian Championship... Mm. For starters, I mean that was that was a young squad that they took over, and you know I wasn't involved with it at the time. But you know, losing Lisa Devana in the group stages, they proved even without Lisa that they could go on and, and actually win a tournament. So you know, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a real credit to the young players that they are. You know, they've got they've got a certain element of really good stable mentality about them that they could they proved they can play at the, at the highest level. Let's talk about Lisa. Uh, obviously, she was um, she was expelled from the camp uh, or the, the games against the squad for the game against New Zealand, the second game. Um, I mean, can you talk about sort of her re-inclusion back in? I mean, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, she Lisa. You know, Lisa is very, very passionate about representing her country. Um, you know, she goes and plays over in Germany with her club football and. I would argue that she's a lot more passionate about representing the country. And, you know, sometimes that passion gets a little bit misguided. And and it, it, it did while we were in camp at the Central Coast. But, you know, we asked her to come into the camp on the Gold Coast 
and follow certain guidelines and to be completely honest she 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 did and you know it was it was the same Lisa that we had for a few camps in Canberra when we got to see her and you know she did everything we asked for she's an, a hugely important player for us um so you know, she, she, she's earned the right to be on, on the plane going to Germany. Good. And certainly with the injuries to, uh, to Kate Gill and also obviously um, Sarah Walsh, who, whose knee wasn't yep. going to be right in time, it takes on an extra element with having Lisa up front. With, oh, big time. Yeah. You, know, you know, Lisa is one of the players that, if she's on a team sheet, it sends a message to, to the teams you're playing. Everyone that we play would rather play us without having Lisa Devana in the, in this, whether on the on in the, on the pitch or on the bench. They, you know, she'll put fear through teams, no doubt about it. Um, and it's, she's an, a hugely important player for us. Much has been made of Tom's use of her previously, and that you know she's not. And he's openly said, you know, she's not a 90-minute player. You know, we either sort of start with her and she plays an hour, or we bring her on, and yeah. you know, it, will that continue in that yeah, impact look, I role? Mean, Tom will Tom will work out the best way to use Lisa. Um, the thing is, she saves absolutely nothing. I mean, she plays at a million miles an hour. Gives her a rule, and if it lasts 90 minutes, then great. But you, what you don't want to do is say to her, right, we want to play you to last 90 pace minutes. Yourself. Pace yourself. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm not a big believer in that. You know, I hate players that pace themselves. Give us your rule, and if it's an hour you give us, brilliant. Um, if, if it's more, excellent. If it's less... Make sure you score a couple of goals. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously we've we've um, we've got the Matildas on our cover for this for this issue and, and a, a hefty feature inside. I mean, you know, for some of the people that might not watch a lot of women's football and and a lot of the Matildas, who would be some of the names that that they should, you know obviously aside from the established names, the Devanas, the Garriotts, who are the players that you think could make a real impact that that people might not have not not be on their radar yet. Um, I'm looking. I don't want to put pressure on Kaya because, I mean, she's only 19. Um, the media requ- requests for her over the last sort of few months have been bonkers, but she's got the potential to be a, a, a really key player at this World Cup. She's got a wicked goal against New Zealand from about 35 yards, just belted it uh, top corner, and. She could have a fantastic tournament. Um, without that, Caitlin Ford is in the squad purely on merit, not for the ride. Uh, she she had an awesome W League season. And we brought her into the first camp, and we really didn't know what to expect from Caitlin, um, where she was going to go, how she was going to fit in, her durability. But from camp one, she's just grown and grown into a, such a mature footballer that she has got a good chance of being a starting player in this World Cup. We, you know, we, we don't quite know yet which way we're going to go, but she has got a really good chance. Um, I, I would also say one that's really surprised Tom and everybody, including myself, is Emily Van Egmond. She really upped the pace when she came into camp. She's done great when she's been in with the 20s, but now she's really matured into a good footballer. She's got a great football brain, uh, and she's matured 
hugely into a, a Gary, really good Gary on the sidelines. So no, Dutch, no, Dutchie doesn't do anything with her. That's why she's so good. No, she's she's a good, she's a really good player, and uh, you know, we've 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 got a really strong squad, uh, young squad as we said, but it's 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 a squad that will win us stuff. Not, not a team, and not any one individual either. Let, let's let's um, just quickly look at some of the names that people might have expected to have been in there that missed out. I mean, Catherine Canuli, who was brought in and, and did well, had a good season. Uh, Leah Blaney, Thea Slatty, was, was Thea more injury? She's been struggling with injuries. Yeah, Thea had an op about three weeks ago, and I've got to say, in the first four camps, she was, she was outstanding. She, you know, she trained and trained and trained, and then the last camp... Um, when we went to the to Central Coast, she she needed she had a, a flare up of her knee. It was decided to go and get it looked at. Um, she had some floating bone in it. And she needed it taken out, and unfortunately, um, just hasn't got the fitness back into her uh, a general fitness. You know, she missed sort of two three weeks of football fitness coming into the Gold Coast. Uh, and she was just a, just off the pace coming, you know, going in, and, and you know, her experience would have would have been worth its weight. But you know, we, as we said, we can't pick players on that alone. And Tom couldn't take the risk that she could get her fitness back up before yeah. the World Cup. So Thea missed out. Canuli has done phenomenally well. She's such a great, great girl to have around. Um, you know, she was a superstar when she was younger, by all accounts went out the game for a little while. The W League has been so good to get her back involved with the football. Um, needs to play more games. I mean, she, she hardly started a game for Sydney last year, which has left her a little bit short coming into, into camp. Brilliant footballer. If she gets a really good W League season under her belt, could really feature in, uh, going into Olympic qualifiers. Um, and, and Ivy Lewin as well. She was, you know, she's con- consider herself just so unfortunate. You know, we've we've got really good uh, strength in depth covering midfielders, and you know, she she's been a real, real, real great girl to have around in the camps. Okay. I mean, so so from here, obviously, when do you head off to Germany? When do you Tuesday? We fly. Tuesday? We've got a farewell on Monday. Um, and then we fly out Tuesday morning. Uh, Tuesday so you've got, so you got two, ga- two warm-up games, uh, good quality warm-up games against Mexico, England. Yeah, will be, uh, <laughs> be interesting for you, will it? I'll tell you, it's so, it's so bizarre because Hope Powell actually coached my daughter in the UK when she played for Colchester Girls and she, Hope came and did a coaching session with them. So I've met Hope before in that capacity. Um, playing England I'm, I'm here now this is home so how will it feel though start lining up and hearing the English national anthem and, and you're on the other side no uh, I've been told I'm not allowed to sing it I'm not even allowed to hum it um, so I'll just sort of just close my eyes and just uh, let that one go but no it's, it's going to be a relaxed perspective, I mean you know how do you approach these two games is, is this the time to hone your starting lineup, or is this the time to look at the potentially the fringe players that are on the out that, that might just make a case? Well, the, the thing is, Jacko, is we've spent so long trying to get the squad right that over the course of the next two weeks before we start, we're going to have to look at shape, look at the way the, the personnel, the, the starting eleven that we want to go with. I don't think we'll start both games without starting eleven that will go into Brazil. 
but certainly one of the games we will have to have a look at the starting eleven and, and take it from there. But um, it's really important that over the course of the next two weeks we do as much as we can on structure and shape and the way that we want to play. So talk, talk us through what it's like working with Tommy and you know, you know, every interview is always quality. You know, it seems like a cracking character. Obviously got a great relationship with this squad. He's brought a lot of them through, given them their first chance. What's your role on sort of match day? You know, what, what does he have? You know, talk us through sort of how you guys work with the squad and, and what the sort of routine is that they'll go through and, and your sort of role in that. Well, I'll, um, on match days, the way that we worked it against New Zealand, I basically took the warm-up. Uh, Tommy has a little chat to him. They all know what they, they're going to do. Uh, and then the, the, the girls go out. Um, any last messages are just given out. Against New Zealand, he went and sat in the stand and basically let me just, not Gary Megson style, but give some instructions to the girls as and when it was sort of needed. But, you know, during the World Cup, I'll just pretty much sit back, let Tom give the messages if he wants to, and then, you know, I might have an input if, if needed. So, you know, it's important that we feed off each other. We generally agree, well, we do agree on on the way that we want to play and it's just making sure that the girls buy into that and us both delivering the same message to the players on, on match day. Yeah. Mm. And Tom Tom seems a very sort of calm figure on the touchline. Um I've never seen it honestly, I mean this is I mean it's a great experience for me and a great place to learn uh, my coaching. You know, working with the girls and with Tom, I mean he is very, very relaxed. I mean He'd probably be doing his Sudoku during the game against Brazil. <laughs> do, do you think? Do you think he's got you there just in case he needs, you know, he needs a bit of a hairdryer half-time team talk? Or, it's like, here nah, you go, Spence. I don't think. I don't or would that not work? Do you not think with this group? Do you think that's, they're used to Tom's way, and, and it would seem odd if there, there was a contrast to that? Or? No, not at all. I think. I think there has to be a contrast. You can't both be. And I, I, it's not good guy, bad guy. You can't come in like that. Um, I get on really well with the girls. Um, they're super professional in everything that they do. And, you know, as long as you... They, they want to be treated like boys. As long as you speak to them like females deserve to be spoken to, yeah. uh, you can get the message across. Well, it's like Melissa said in the interview for the mag. You know, she said, we don't want to be treated like female football players with footballers right. mm. they are footballers and yeah. I mean look the crossover has shown with the FFA with Robbie Hooker who I've, I've actually taken over from you know Robbie's gone in and working with the Socceroos now fact is is the FFA see it as just football whether yeah. it's women's football men's football it's just football so from a coaching perspective there's nothing different really that you do um, it's just how you deliver the message to the players I know you um, you mentioned on Twitter that the girls needed to work on their banter a little bit. You uh, <laughs> they do, helped them out on that? <laughs> no, they're, they're all right. They're, they're a little bit dry sometimes. Some of them take themselves a little bit serious at times, but no, it's, generally they're all pretty good. Especially the younger ones haven't got a clue. They really haven't got a clue. Some are like Caitlin Ford. I mean, we did a, 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 a April Fool's... Um, I don't know, you might not have seen the footage. You've got to try and get you on your website. But Tommy did a, Tommy resigned on, on <laughs> April Fool's Day and, it, and some of the girls bought into it hook, line and sinker. There was tears and it was carnage. It was hilarious. <laughs> but after it, I said to Caitlin Ford, I said, what do you think of that? She said, 
I don't know what's going on. <laughs> so some of them just haven't got a clue. They really haven't. But it, yeah, we'll have to get that. We'll have to get that. It's on DVD, so I'll have to get it in and get it yeah. on your website. Yeah. All right. Let's let's talk about the the, the tournament itself. I mean, have you done much? Um, uh, prep on the opposition yet? Have you got scouting reports on them? Or? We've got DVDs on Brazil and Norway. If there's yeah. any DVDs on Equatorial Guinea floating about, <laughs> I'd really appreciate it. <laughs> now, we've got the chance to see them before we play them because we play them second game up. Yeah. So we're focusing really heavily at the moment on the Brazil game. Um, How do you approach that? I mean, you know, obviously the girls lost to Brazil last time out in the quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. You know, you sort of know what you're going to get, but knowing what you're going to get and dealing with it is is two different things. I mean, is a lot of it, a lot of the work that you do when you're going against a team like Brazil, mental, as in you know, hugely not be overawed by the occasion to to just have the confidence to play. Hugely, and I think it's the one thing that I really want to drum into the girls over the next two weeks is they're there on merit. They're, they're you know, I want them to be able to go and play Brazil, stand up look them in the eye and really take them on. And, you know, Brazil will come out or or when they line up in the tunnel, Brazil will have a certain swagger about them. It's the way Brazil are. Our girls are so humble, it's it's not even funny. But they're there and they deserve to be there. And, and I, I think they'll give Brazil a very, very good game. Brazil won't know what they're going to be facing because they wouldn't have seen half of the girls play. And... I think that the girls could really achieve something special. Do you think that they'll have? Do you think Brazil will have looked at DVDs of Australia, or do you think they're the sort of they just don't? They're not worried. They well, put it this way: they're going into the World Cup without having any practice matches. So the, I think the last game we've got from them was last year. So it's a good time to play them. First game up, um, we'll get to you know they won't get to see us in the way that we play. Uh, and, the, and the girls that we will want to start with, we we are working towards getting a decent result against Brazil to yeah. start the comp off really well. I mean, let's draw the comparisons with the with the blokes from the from the World Cup, you know, and Pim's sort of very negative attitude to going into a very similar opening game against Germany, where it was like, okay, and he, and he picked a squad to try and get a draw at best and obviously then it cast a shadow over the whole qualifying period because we got spanked and you know it sort of put the whole sort of thing back you know are you going to go out and be positive against Brazil well I would argue the German men's team were better than the Brazil women's team um, so you know to look at it and, and compare those two like for like I know they're both big football in nations but you know Brazil Brazil are definitely beatable. I mean, we can't really compare it to four years ago because um, the, the, the group has changed so much since then. So we, we are going out to be positive. There's no doubt about it that we want to go uh, uh, and try and win the game. And everything that we've done so far in the camps that we've had has been positive. You know, we're working on a good attacking football without sort of... You know, we have to respect Brazil without any doubt, but we are certainly going out to try and win the game. How, how do you deal with you know, a player like Marta? Do you, do you make a specific plan or do you just say, we'll play our game? And No, we're right? gonna, you've got to respect her. You know, she's a, she is a fantastic footballer, but you know, we want to we wanna focus on, on ourselves as much as on them. You know, we, we will look, we have looked at DVDs of them, the way they play. 
we think there's weaknesses that we can exploit. We also know that they've got strengths that we need to address. So we'll go into the game with a certain way that we want to play and, and hopefully it's good enough on the day. Brilliant. All right, well, the games are June 29th, which is uh, actually the early hours of June 30th here. That's the Brazil game, which all these games are live and exclusive on SBS, which is fantastic, on free-to-air. Uh, 2.15am is the Brazil kickoff time. Equatorial Guinea is on July 3rd at a much more uh, friendly 10 o'clock uh, here. That's July 3rd, that's a Sunday. Uh, and then Norway is the third group game on July 6th, uh, which is July 7th, 2am here. Um, all on SBS so Spencer we'll, uh, we'll leave the Matilda's chat there we're obviously going to stay with us but um, from all of us at 442 obviously we wish you the best of luck with the squad and hope that you have a fantastic World Cup thanks guys we all have goals but sometimes we need a little help along the way the best advice and assistance on your journey can make an enormous difference Tiger Management and PR represents up and coming and established TV and radio presenters performers and sports people so if you're wondering how you'll rise to the next level engage the services of Tiger Management and and PR, and you'll no longer be alone. Call 1300 784 212 to find out more, or visit tigermanagement.com.au. Back to 442 Insider. Hello, welcome back to this week's 442 Insider podcast. Well, they might not have been in the Socceroos squads, but certainly the, the Cahills, the Schwartzers, and the Harry Kills are still dominating headlines. Tim's been very busy with his, uh, with his camps, and uh, he was very kind enough to turn up at the uh, Footy Fans Down Under Awards uh, to pick up in person his uh, overseas player of the year. Trev, do you want to get a plug for us in that? <laughs> Magazine of the year, website of the year. Yeah, double ward, a brace for the 442. So the, the two Drinking big, table of the year. The two, <laughs> two big ones, yeah, website of the year and uh, magazine. Yeah, very happy. Yeah, so that was excellent. And uh, Mark Schwartz is out and about. You were with him this morning, weren't you? 7 a.m. this morning. Yeah, um, yeah, he's, he's doing a... Um, launch promotion for, yeah. for, uh, for Price Clit skin, So yeah. he was doing like a little... Um, you know, training thing with kids this morning and stuff. But he's done a few signing sessions in a couple of Rebel stores tomorrow as well. So, Excellent. yeah, they're out and about. Well, the news sort of spread like wildfire. I actually got a call on Saturday afternoon <laughs> from someone that will remain nameless saying, you might want to know that Harry Kuehl was spotted last night in Melbourne with Bernie having dinner with Melbourne Victory officials and was happy to stop and sign autographs and stuff like that. So, And, that, and then obviously the story sort of broke and... Bernie managers come out and said that nothing's concrete yet. But it does appear that Harry Kuehl is caught in offers from the A-League. He is actively in conversations with the A-League. I mean, it, there's talk of uh, Victory, Newcastle and Sydney being interested, as you would expect. I'd expect any A-League team to be interested in bringing Harry Kuehl back. Whether they can uh, afford him is another matter. And Melbourne Heart sort of made public some of the demands when they had an initial yeah. conversation, which was... Two and a half million a year and a house and a share of the take-ins and so that. I mean, Spencer, what, what, what's your take? I mean, you know, there's there's no doubt in Harry's star power still in Australia. Um, would this be a good move for a, for an A-League club? It'd be good for the A-League in general if he did come back. Without without doubt, I think um, someone of his profile would actually then start to get football on the back pages again. So it, it could be. It would. It would be a good move to get him here. Um, whether he comes or not is another issue. 
Yeah. I mean, at that sort of, you know, price tag, though, as we saw on a, on a smaller scale with John Aloisi, you know, it can be a double-edged sword because all of a sudden, if you don't perform, you know, and we talk about this a lot, players that when you don't see them every week, their sort of reputation keeps growing and then all of a sudden you see them week in, week out and, you know, he only needs to get an injury and miss a big chunk of the season and a club's broke the bank to bring him back, you know. Well, this is what we saw with, with John Aloisi, right? When he first came in, he, he did a struggle to, to have an impact and, you look, he, Harry coming back, I mean, he'll, he'll keep playing for, for, for a few more years, I would imagine. But what you don't want to do is go back home, finish up playing and, and playing a year too long. And people yeah. start saying he should have retired last year. So, you know, play as long as you can, but keep playing at the highest level that you can. I don't know whether he will come back to play here or not. Yeah. Certainly for, for the media, for the, the exposure that him and his missus will get will be great. Um, I think that's a big part of the decision making whether he does come back or not. Mm, I mean, he's, 30, he's 32, so it's not he's not like a 36 year old. I know he's had injury problems, but he does keep himself in very very good shape. Yeah. So when he's not injured, he is he is fit to play. Um, I suppose the latest rumour doing the rounds is that a lot of this is being generated to create more interest for him for a European club. You know, as in he's sort of being always shot possible. To, yeah, um, yeah, hugely so, possible. Yeah. Um, I mean, there was talk of QPR, but I think that was a bit of a lazy link just because they've just gone up and that's the sort of player that they're looking for. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. But, I mean, if you were Harry and you were 32, he's been living away from his wife and kids, obviously, recently in, in Galatasaray, yeah. they've been back in London. Would you rather scrap out a relegation, scrap at QPR, or go to victory and play in front of decent crowds, return a hero? I mean, you'd rather do the latter. But I, I still think that I still think he'll only come to the A-League if he doesn't get a European offer. Yeah. You know, if there's a European offer there, I think he'll go. I mean, certainly, I think one of the things that has probably made this a little bit more of a possibility is the fact that next season is the first year where the clubs have got their own kit deals, um, whereas previously that was a centralised FFA-run deal. And, and, and now I think it's another element that is a genuine element in Europe when people are looking at, right, OK, well, it's going to cost us this, but let's look at all the returns on that. And it's bums on seats, but it's also shirts on backs. And, you know, you can now look at, okay, well, how many, um, can we say, how many new victory shirts will they say, will they sell with Q7 on the back? You know, and now they're getting a greater return of that. It is a genuine revenue stream that, you know, when you look at the sort of numbers that they work when selling a Beckham or, you know, a Ronaldo, and I mean, obviously this is not on that scale, but certainly it's on that scale for an Australian A-League team, you know, that the potential there is huge. I mean, we've heard, you know, we've heard sort of whispers from the likes of Viduka and, and Vinigrella that they, they looked at sort of the treatment that Aloisi got uh, and it sort of put them off. I mean, do, would, would that be a consideration, Spencer, as a player, if you're looking at it and you see someone that was a teammate in a soccer is camp? Yeah, let, and let's be fair, he got pretty slaughtered by the Sydney fans for a period. Not much. Uh, look, I think it will have an... Yeah, there's no doubt that it would have had a bearing on it. Harry would have over the course of the last few years been speaking with John Aloisi regularly good mate or good mates regular contact um, I think every case should be judged on its own merits though and Harry Koo is, is by far fitter than John Aloisi was when he came back and if he does come I think Bernie has said it won't be for money it and I agree with Trev, you know, to come back and play in front of good crowds, 
be worshipped. I think that that's important to Harry Cool. He's always wanted to be in a situation where he's loved. Yeah. And well, I, I mean, think... this is his chance to be the main man. Yeah. You know, to be the biggest fish in a small pond. Whereas, even if he goes to QPR, you know, he's still just going to be as much in the spotlight because the English press have bloody long memories. And they'll remember the FA Cup final and the Champions League final. He'll so be in the spotlight be under the wrong, as much pressure for the wrong reasons. Exactly, he'll be in the like, spotlight well, he's back without again, He's getting paid X, and how many games is he going to play? And you know, so I think wherever he goes, if he goes back to England, he's going to be back in the spotlight. So I'd, I'd say, well, you know, might as well come oh. here and, and and have people wanting you to do well rather than you know wanting to worry about your injuries and, and every time and, and bring up the Liverpool saga again and. See, there's another side of me that says, you know, he's using this for f- to get himself a European club. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him in the MLS. Mm-hmm. I really wouldn't, you know. If he wants to go and get out of the spotlight a bit, then that's his, that's his place to go. He can earn decent coin, play in a good league. Um, just, you know, I, I, I hope they're not using it as a, as a tool to get himself leveraged somewhere else. Yeah. Well, one of, one of the links that was made was... Um was Michael Bridges uh, at Newcastle, and obviously they're good mates from their time at Leeds. And uh, Michael Bridges has been given the role of international football and business development manager at the club, uh, with a remit of bringing uh, international stars to the club. So this would fall under that bracket. They're good mates. I mean, how much of a factor is that, Spencer? You know, if, if you've got a mate and he's sort of like, hang on a minute, why don't you come yeah. up here? Does it, does it play a, a Well, part? if it was a factor like was ranging between 1 and 100, it's probably about minus 500. It's have nothing to do with it whatsoever. Um, Bridges has been given a role. I think, I, think he's, I think he's got that role a little bit on the back of the relationship he's got with, with the manager there, who, you know, he's, the, the, the manager's still got a four-year deal to run. I think that was partly down to Bridges saying, you know, to the owners, you've got to have a plan. You know, you need at least a five-year plan. So before you knew it, the, the gaffer got a five-year deal, which was unheard of in the A-League. Um, I don't really know. You know, we talk about Tinkler and his dough that he's got up there that he could he could afford to bring bring him in. But I, I just can't see him going up the Newcastle. I've got to be completely honest with you. Okay. All right, well, this saga will roll on, I'm sure. Another, uh, another side, sidebar to the long off-season is uh, stories like this tend to run for a few weeks. Uh, one, one former A-League player that, that has secured a deal in Europe is uh, Lubo Milicevic, who has sealed a dream deal to join Croatian giants Hadjik Split, two-year contract club confirmed last night. So uh, he has found his, uh, his route back to Europe, Trev. Yep. Hopefully he'll still keep... Uh, Still keep flying the quotes out. He'll have, oh, something, he'll have something to say, won't he? <laughs> you lot love him. You love Lugo, <laughs> don't you? I'm not being fun. We were just talking about Newcastle and Branko, obviously. I mean, the stuff he came out was absolutely just, just bitter and twisted from Lubo a couple of months ago to do with Branko. But, uh, yeah, keep him over in Europe. Let him, let him do some stuff over there. And you, you lot want him back here because he's all good for you lot. Yeah, if you ever look at the most read stories on the 4-4-2 that week, Lubo, <laughs> <laughs> guaranteed. All right, another player that, uh, that left the A-League and is now back is a uh, Dutch defender stroke holding midfield player where he was playing the, most of his football last year for, uh, for, for, the, um, for Gold Coast. is Bas van der Brink, who has uh, been confirmed as Perth Glory's latest signing. 
Yeah, they've got they've got a little bit of work to do over in Perth. I mean, they started brilliantly last year again and faded away. So, what Fergie's going to do this year with a group of players is, you know, the pressure will be on him right from the start. He's also signed Liam Miller um, from the UK. I spent, you know, do you remember much about him? No, I think I'd left by the time he sort of came through. He had a bit of time up in Celtic, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's got he's certainly got good pedigree. I mean, you know, Perth last season, Trev. I, I wasn't alone in tipping them to win it. Well, no, it was it Lynch's, Simon Hill, I think. Me and Simon Hill tipped them to win it. Couldn't have been further from the truth. But Simon yeah. knows nothing about football. <laughs> completely honest with you. But yeah, again, you know, on paper, they seem to be building a, a decent squad. You know, Shane Smeltz is a proven goal scorer at this level. Travis Dodd is a proven A-League player. You know, um, Stajowski is still there. You know, Vandenbrink was... You know, decent quality. Branko Jelic is a player that I always like when he gets the chance, and Liam Miller. I mean, the pressure's really again, you know, on Fergie to deliver this year, isn't it? You know, he, he got elevated halfway through the season, didn't seem to have the impact you would have hoped for, but he's got another year. Yeah, look, and, and I said it's important he has a good start, but they, they have to be in the finals this year. You know, the, the, the owners have invested a huge amount of money in that club. Um, over the course of the last four years trying to be successful and it just hasn't worked for him. Hmm. It'd be good to see some youngsters come through as well though. You know, this sort of um they've certainly got plenty of experience in that team. Um so I think that they need to mix it with giving some of their youth players a chance too. Otherwise I don't think they're gonna be particularly attractive to watch, especially with Fergie's style of management. Okay. Um well Gold Coast have replaced one Dutch player with another on, and bizarrely on, on Bass Vandenbrink's recommendation so he recommended uh, his mate Paul Beekmans who's 29 uh, he joins Gold Coast United from uh, SC Camber Louvarden there you go that's that uh, 191 centimetres central midfielder anyone know that's about all we know about him alright so we'll set pieces yeah All right, well, that is it for part three. We'll be back in part four to look at the news from further afield uh, from FIFA and beyond. The July issue of 442 magazine is on sale now. This month, you get to choose your cover between the Matildas or the 20 rising stars of world football, including interviews with Jack Wilshere and Neymar, plus a profile on the madness of Mario Balotelli. Elsewhere, we name the top five Aussie team sensations with Kerem Bullitt and Matt Ryan interviews. We're in Berlin with Nikita Rukovica, plus the 30 maddest refereeing moments. If it's in the game, it's in 442, on sale now. The latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Hello, welcome back to the final part of this week's 442 Insider podcast. I'm going to kick this section off with a little bit of Jeopardy. In the American game show, yeah, and they yeah. give you the answer, and then you have to come up with a question. All right, I'll give you the, I'll give you the answer. <laughs> what did Placido Domingo, Henry Kissinger, and Johan Cruyff have in common? Oh, they sound like some sort of council of wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't make it up. FIFA have now announced that Spanish opera singer Placido Domingo will be their bizarre choice to advise them on their problems, and he'll join 88-year-old U.S. Secretary of State, former U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger, and Johan Cruyff. Now, Johan Cruyff could cause an argument in a phone box. <laughs> So, I mean, I'm not really sure where this is going. Didn't Johan Cruyff last month basically get the whole of the Ajax resigned and sacked? Good lad. Maybe you could do the same set. Uh, I mean, 
Trev, what do we think? Today? I mean, well, it's, it's almost as if Sepp Blatter is just <laughs> trying to push everyone to yeah. say, I'm untouchable, yeah. I will do what I like. Yeah, how ludicrous can I make these last four years? Um, I, I suppose he's thinking is um, they're getting in figures that are trusted and liked. Um, you know, that that's not so much what people want. They just want a fair investigation from people that know what they're doing. I mean, it, yeah, like you say, it's bizarre. You couldn't make it could you? Yeah. Well, I mean, UK Prime Minister David Cameron yesterday uh, said that FIFA's reputation is at an all-time low and that the election was a farce. Uh, I mean, you know, saying things and doing something about it. I mean, I get, you know, I guess the point is, is that what can we do? I mean, Spencer, I mean, what's, what's your view as a former player? I mean, as you, you know, do, do players care about this? Do you, you know, do you think that your average Premier League player does he even care about the goings on at that no. level? No, the players won't. The players won't care. Probably the coaches won't care. Um, I. I've got to say, in all honesty, I'm I'm pleased that the FFA voted because I think it's important that they do stay in and be a part of what he's going to try and uh, the, the change around that will go on at FIFA. Um, if they'd have boycotted their vote like the English FA did, then they'll completely outcast themselves. And we know how important the AFC is to FIFA. And... Frank Lowy is a very, very bright man and knows how to play the game very well. Mm. That's smart well, for David Cameron, though, isn't it? <laughs> they, he knows that in a football man country that's hating FIFA, a few little comments. Gets Trev- a few, Trev- yeah. Trev- yeah. His position. But, uh, but I mean, you, you say that, but the, the case uh, has still got to be heard for Bin Amman. And Bin Amman is the president of the AFC. So could that still not potentially come back to hurt the FFA if he gets reinstated? Do you think he's going to get reinstated after the stuff he did with Set? Who I, knows? I, I can't. I got to be honest. I can't see it that you know that he's got a little bit of dirty water going on around him with Jack Warner, and I think that you know we, we've got to remember that the that he's his thing is around the. The, the, the vote, the, the cash for election votes are not around the 2022 stuff. So to try and get 2022 redone on that basis was just, they were looking at the wrong thing. It was to try and get himself some, some votes to get himself the presidency. So. But surely if he gets booted out of FIFA for bribery, for, okay, about him getting elected, but there's then a, an email from Valker to Warner saying that he's trying to buy it like he bought the World Cup. Surely they have to investigate the World Cup process. It's a little bit loose, though, isn't it, to say that that's... It is a bit loose to say that that's the basis to completely reopen up the 2022 World Cup bid. I think... I'm not saying you reopen it, but you've got... Surely you've got to look into it. Because... Wasn't it what everybody thought? Well, it is a little bit bizarre, right? When that, that, when that envelope came out... Yeah, this tiny, tiny little country that have got no football background whatsoever get 15 report, or 16 votes, right? That came bottom of the technical report, that it's currently 45 degrees there on what would be two days before the World Cup kicking off. <laughs> I think, I think the, mo- the, the first thing to address is the, the situation of the AFC president and where, he's, where he stands. And, and if he... If he is to be expelled from his role, then I, I think it, it's a smart move by the FFA and by Frank Lowy to sort of stay involved with FIFA. Yeah, they're, they're, you know, their position's 
the Aussie position's not lofty enough where they can get away with, you know, not voting. So even though people are up in arms about it and it's another excuse to, you know, have a go at the FFA, I think that's what they had to do. Okay. All right. Well, let's. Uh, I'm sure that this obviously isn't the last that we've heard. I think the uh, the, the case should be the corruption case against Warner and uh, Bin Amam is probably up in a couple of weeks. I think. I think it was a, a four four week suspension before the case got heard. So that should be coming up, and that will be the next stage of this. But um, let's look at uh, Premier League. Um, season may be over, but certainly no. Uh, no shortage of stories coming out there. The managerial merry-go-round has begun. Uh, Martin Yoll has been appointed as uh, as the new Fulham boss. Um, Spencer, thoughts on that? Good appointment for Fulham? No, I don't know whether it's neither good nor bad. I, he's not an exceptional manager. I'm, I, I would have preferred to have seen him go for the Martin O'Neills, whether he'd have gone, gone there. Jacko's got his issues with Martin O'Neill. Well, I've got even more after the other night. <laughs> <laughs> but, a few stories the other night. But, um, I don't know about Martin Yell. Didn't set the world alight at Tottenham. Um, you know, hopefully he can go into Fulham. It's a little bit of a smaller pressure pot and, and he can might achieve something there. Got, he got Tottenham up to fifth, didn't he? So, I mean... Yeah, and he to a lot of Spurs fans. A lot of Spurs fans thought he was pretty harshly treated. Been kicked out and he did, and then obviously Ramos came in and, and was a, was pretty much a disaster. Um, and obviously the other biggest seat in football, uh, Aston Villa manager, is open. <laughs> oh god, this is stressful, I tell you. Steve McLaren, Rafa Benitez, David Moyes, Mark Hughes, Roberto Martinez. This morning, actually, this morning they've given permission. The, the uh, Wigan chairman's given permission for Martinez to go. Alice Ellis said that he's pretty confident he'll turn it down. <laughs> I, lost, I can't think of anything worse than the Wigan manager turning down Villa. It's, I mean, I don't know. I don't know where I stand on this. I think my first choice, no, my, my first choice would be, if we could do it, would be Ancelotti and Wilkins. Um, but he's now got a, a whether it's a condition of his severance at Chelsea or he's just doing it as he said that he's taking a year off. But it's he, like a student, isn't he? Before he, he goes to uni, he, he has said that he wants to stay in the UK. So, but uh, besides that, David Moyes would be my first choice. But I'm just not sure he's going to we're going to be able to prize him away from Everton. Well, the, I mean, the other issue you got to look at is all these guys that uh, I'm sure they they've been approached and spoke to Villa is. They've had some message from the top that there's no money, and you know this. This is a big but I thing. I don't think. I don't think that's right. I don't think there is. You know, we spent thirty million in the January transfer window. Yeah, but you know? whoever's going to come in, he's going to want his own influence on the squad. He's I don't not think there's just... two hundred million. I don't think he's going to be able to go and overhaul the whole squad. You know, but I don't think it's a bad squad. But if someone's going to come in, he's going to want quite a few million. To, to go and put his own influence on it. And it's, it seems that it's not available. Yeah. Well, I mean, supposedly Steve McLaren was being considered, but uh, apparently they have looked at the backlash. From, apparently the club was deluged by supporters saying we do not want Steve McLaren. Well, that, that happened when, when he was linked with West Ham, the amount of West Ham fans that were kicking at him. He would have been a distant appointment for a championship side like West Ham, I would have thought. Yeah. Uh, I mean, certainly they need to appoint someone quickly because it looks like Ashley Young will be a Man United player by the weekend. Um, Stuart Downing's 
refuse to sign a new contract until it's sorted out. Other than um, that, everything's going well. Other than that, everything's great. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's talk about also so there's some there's some early transfer activity. Um, we've seen Jordan Henderson go from Sunderland to Liverpool in a quite remarkable £20 million uh, deal. Mm. Uh, and now there's also talk of Blackburn defender Phil Jones set to join Man United in a £17 million deal. Spencer, just seems that you know, there's a completely unwarranted premium for English players in the Premier League. Yeah, with the new, obviously with the new FIFA rule that you've got to have so many home-based younger players or players that have come through your, your own system, so, yeah. I think that that's having a big in, input on the value of English players now, yeah. especially the younger ones that have got a little bit of premier, few Premiership games behind, their, behind them. I think that that's having a major influence on it. Is there a Ridsdale doing Liverpool's negotiations these days? They're not <laughs> picking up bargains, are they? Well, they said they'll have spent £55, they've spent £55 million pounds on two 19-year-old English players. Mm. I mean, they could be great. I mean, I, I think Carroll's an excellent player, but um, they're, they're certainly not... Afraid to throw a bit of money out there. I, I don't want to question anything that Kenny Dalglish is doing. I mean, the, the turnaround since he took Incredible. over the job is, is absolutely amazing at the club. Um, he can buy whoever he likes, and you know he'll, he'll still be a hero in the Liverpool's fans' mind. You know, and, yeah. and you know the one thing that the players will get when they go and play there is they'll get the complete support from the fans. Yeah, I mean, talk talk us through and just. For, you know, listeners that get the insight into the, the players' perspective. Obviously, the season finishes, you head off on a, probably on an end-of-season trip with the lads and then go away with the family. You know, how, you moved a few times in your career. How, what, what's the process? Do you, do you get a call? Do you, do you leave it up to the agents and they... Yeah, I only, I only once had a situation where I went out of contract. So it only happened, like I said, the once where you're scratching around in the summer... Um, looking for what you're going to do. And that was when I left Cardiff and finished up going back to South End. Um, you, it, it's a really uncertain time for players if they're yeah. out of contract. And there are going to be so many more this year. You know, certain, you know we're looking at... We're, we're really looking at the, the top end here and seeing you know the big, big sums. But there's so many players down in the lower leagues that will be scratching around. Just trying yeah, to get you, you lose sight of that because we get Absolutely. so dominated by the Premier League and the ridiculous sums of money. But you know, for for League One players, they've got mortgages to pay. Exactly, they've got factors like kids in school and don't know where the kids are going to go at school in August. And you know, we, we you do, and you know, with all the clubs that you've got, um, it's for the for the players that are outside the top half of the Championship, it's a real real mixing pot. And I think you're now getting to stages where Lower down, players are undercutting each other to just make sure they get a little bit of security and contracts behind them. Yeah. So we're seeing the, the, the guys that are the guys that are here in the A League have absolutely no idea how good they've got it with the salary cap, um, and and the fact that they've got to spend 85 percent of that salary cap on wages. The players are on a very very good wicket here compared to some of the guys back in the UK. Okay, that's interesting. And what about the scenario where you're in contract, but someone comes in and wants to buy you? I mean, how do you normally find out about that? Does that come from your agent or is that from the club? It can be from both, actually. Sometimes, you know, it can be mixed. Sometimes you have no idea and then you get, you get a win from the club. Um, I had it a couple of times with 
Who did I have it with? I had it with Leicester when I went to Derby. That came from, that just came from uh, one of the staff members who told me that the gaffer's going to pull you in a bit. So I was a little bit sort of, hmm, okay, so we'll see what happens there. Martin O'Neill was sensational, said, you know, you go and talk to him. I've agreed a fee, go and talk to him. If it doesn't work out, I'll have you back here in a heartbeat. But, you know, it's up to you. It might be good for your career to go. So had that, went to Derby. And then the same happened when I went to, to Man City from Derby. I, I actually got told by someone outside of the club. And he said to me that they were interested. Uh, Jim Smith didn't know whether he was going to keep me and give me a, a long-term deal um, or sell me. That was what Jim said to me. So it was sort of, right, well, if this has come about and you've got a chance to go to Man City, then you have to go and take it. So that happened there. Same at Man City, got a chance. was still in contract and Keegan said, you can leave. So worked out. I still had contract so I was pretty secure still had another two years left on my deal at, at Man City but had the chance to go and speak and the top end guys generally it works out quite nicely for them very rarely do we see the guys that have been bought for millions of pounds we don't see their contracts running out you no. just don't you know the clubs have invested so much money in them to, to develop these guys that they're not going to let their, their contracts run but out. also the new, the new system with the Bosman ruling actually means that you know let's say take Ashley Young with Villa you know Villa are only going to get 15-16 million for Ashley Young because he's only got one year left on his deal that's right so it almost forces the, the, the incumbent club to sell because otherwise we'd get nothing for him next year well the other thing is you either sell him or if you value him at 60 mil you've got to pay him a contract that says he's worth 60 mil, and that's where the issue comes in. But if Ashley Young doesn't want to sign a new deal, the, the, then the club's faced with a choice. They either yep. keep him for another year, they keep a player that is unmotivated to be there to let him run his contract down, and then he leaves for nothing. Well, the thing is, Villa's, Villa's wage structure won't be set around paying Ashley Young the, the, the money that Ashley Young is probably worth in the market yep. in terms of what he can get out there from other clubs. So... That's the reason that he's probably on the market to go. Yeah, because I think you know, like clubs like Villa can't afford to not get anything from a player like Ashley Young. So it's almost forcing the club's hand to sell a year before the, the contract runs it's, out. It's just a business now, you know, Jacko. It's they, they are assets at the end of the day. The players, if you, if you want to keep them, you have to pay them what they're worth. And if you don't, then you've got to cash in while you can. Yeah. All right. Fascinating. Love that. I could talk all day like that. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to tell you my Martin O'Neill story off air. Uh, all right, that's it for the 442 Insider podcast for this week. Thanks, Spencer, for coming in, Thanks giving us your thoughts, uh, especially on the uh, Matildas. It was a great insight to the camp and to the makeup of the squad, and obviously we'll all be supporting the Matildas in the World Cup. And to Trev, as usual. Thanks, Cheers. mate. And we'll see you next week, same time, same place. 442 Insider is a Helms Media Solutions production. Visit helms.com.au to find out more about our services.